Today's scripture comes from Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, good morning. The Advent season is upon us, and my wife and I have fully embraced it, as you can tell by our Christmas tree behind me here. 2020 has been a long, tiring year. We're physically exhausted, and we're emotionally exhausted. Months and months of pain, loss, and uncertainty has drained our souls. We long for this pandemic to end and for justice and peace in our nation. We're tired from working long hours, from being cooped up in the apartment with our kids 24-7, and from enduring change after change after change. Our weary souls ache for rest. The book of Ruth is about just that. It shows us where we can 
even in the midst of everything happening in our world today, find deep rest for our souls. The book starts out with a famine. There's a woman named Naomi living with her husband and two sons in Bethlehem. But one day there's a famine in the land, which is ironic because Bethlehem comes from the Hebrew words Beth, which means city, and Lachem, which means bread. There was a famine in the city of bread. Because of the famine, Naomi and her family go to Moab, which historically was actually one of Israel's enemies. But they go to live in Moab anyways, and her sons both marry Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. But sadly, after about 10 years, her husband and then both her sons die. There's a lot here we can relate to. There was a famine and Naomi lost her livelihood. Many of us have lost our job and we're not sure when we'll get a new one. Because of the famine, Naomi moved to a new city. Many of us also recently moved, either temporarily or permanently, because of what was happening in New York City. The husbands of Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah all died. They experienced tremendous loss. Maybe you have as well. The story continues. Naomi hears that the Lord had visited his people in Bethlehem and given them food. So she decides to return home. She prepares to leave and tells her two daughters-in-law to remain in Moab and find new husbands. But Ruth says famously, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. So instead of staying in Moab, Ruth's country, she leaves with Naomi and the two of them set out for Israel. And given that Moab was historically an enemy of Israel, it's entirely possible that when she came to Israel, she experienced discrimination because of who she was. We don't know that for sure, but it's certainly possible. So they return to Bethlehem, but this isn't like 21st century New York City. In the ancient world, there weren't a lot of ways for women to provide for themselves. Being without a husband or sons left Ruth and Naomi in a desperate situation. They still have no way to get food. However, they arrive at the beginning of the barley harvest, and Ruth is able to glean in the fields of their relative Boaz. In the Old Testament, God commanded the Israelites to allow the poor, sojourners, and widows to gather grain from the fields. Ruth was all three. And Boaz turns out to be very generous. He gives Ruth far more grain than the law required them to, and he even invites her to share a meal with him and his workers. But eventually, the harvest ends, and Naomi and Ruth are back where they started, with no way to provide for themselves. They're in the same poverty they've been trying to overcome for 10 years. Imagine how demoralizing that must have felt. Naomi fled to Moab to avoid a famine, but instead of finding a life there, her husband and then both her sons die, and she's left without any family except her two daughters-in-law. In fact, when Naomi returns to Bethlehem, she even changes her name. She says, Do not call me Naomi, which means something like pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? 
You can hear the pain in those words. Maybe you felt that way lately too. Why has God allowed all this to happen? Why has he dealt so bitterly with me? So here's Ruth. She's a young woman whose husband recently died. She's in unfamiliar territory. Literally, she's moved to an enemy country. And even after all her travel, she's still alone except for her one roommate, Naomi. And they have no way to provide for themselves. They must have felt so weary. And so, in chapter 3, Naomi asks Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? And this is what drives the story. Ruth and Naomi, much like us, are seeking rest. And as we look at this passage, we'll see that it points us to the one who promises to bring rest to our tired bodies and our weary souls. Look at verse 2. Naomi has a whole plan for how to attain this rest. She's seen how generous Boaz has been, and, and, and she's hoping that he will provide the rest that they long for. She says to Ruth, Is not Boaz a relative with whose young woman you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. There's actually a lot of ambiguity and suggestive language here. Did you catch that? Probably not. I didn't realize it either until I studied this passage a bit more in depth. Let me show you. First, Naomi tells Ruth to prepare herself. And the language she uses here is likely telling Ruth to end her period of mourning, the death of her husband, and start a new chapter of life. So her preparation to meet Boaz was not just to look her best. It also would have communicated to Boaz that she was now eligible for marriage. And Naomi tells Ruth to meet Boaz at night and at the threshing floor. This is a bit suggestive because the threshing floor wasn't a place where a respectable woman would have normally gone at night. And the word to know in this passage is also suggestive, like Adam knew his wife. There's also this verb, lie down. It's used eight times in this chapter. The only other narrative in the Bible that uses this verb so much is Genesis 19, where it refers to the illicit behavior of Lot and his daughters that results, that results in the birth of Moab. Ruth's ancestor. But the language is intentionally ambiguous. Naomi doesn't say to lie down with Boaz, which would have been explicit, but this verb adds to the ambiguity of Naomi's instructions. And there's one last thing, too. Naomi tells Ruth to uncover the place of his feet. In Hebrew, uncover is frequently paired with nakedness, and the Hebrew word for foot can also be used as a euphemism for something else. Again, the narrative stops short of saying these things explicitly. But in the ancient world, even more than today, to speak of a woman uncovering any part of a man's body in the middle of the night was highly suggestive. 
Likely, what Naomi is advising amidst all this ambiguous language is what amounts to a marriage proposal. And while the suggestive language, it's probably a literary technique meant to highlight the risk Ruth takes in this proposal. Her actions could have easily been uh, misunderstood, misinterpreted by Boaz or by others. You know, God often asks us to do risky things that can easily be misinterpreted. Speaking of rest, God commands us to make Sundays a day of rest and worship. Depending on your job, taking Sundays off from work can be a risky thing. It can be interpreted as laziness or a lack of commitment. Here's another one. In my community groups last month, we asked, what risks are involved in sharing your faith with others? A lot of people said even just letting coworkers know that we're a Christian is a bit risky because they'll probably make assumptions about who we are and, and what we believe based on negative experiences and negative impressions of other Christians. God sometimes calls us to do risky things. Ruth is well aware of the risks she's taking, but nevertheless, in verse 6, she does everything Naomi tells her to do. Look at verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor, this is Ruth, and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. The whole scene is shrouded in darkness and secrecy. When I proposed to Mifeng, I knew she was going to say yes. This is a different story. Ruth didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, imagine proposing to someone you didn't really know that well, and you're not really knowing what they're going to say. That's pretty terrifying. Would Boaz accuse her of indecency or even prostitution? Would he take advantage of her? How is he going to respond? Look at verse 8. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. This is actually the marriage proposal. It's not your typical modern-day proposal. There's no romantic skyline view and there's no friend taking pictures or an after party. It happens on a threshing floor, in secret, in the middle of the night. This word redeemer that Ruth uses is an important one. It's actually a technical term, although it's a little puzzling why Ruth uses it. In the Old Testament, there were laws that talked about times when a close relative would take on this role of a redeemer. So there were laws that obligated a redeemer to settle a blood vengeance, uh, redeem a relative back from servitude, and buy back a poor relative's land that was sold. But there aren't any laws that talk about a redeemer marrying a relative's widow. Now, in Deuteronomy 25, God commanded a man to marry his brother's wife if he died without an heir, quote, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And this language is used later in chapter 4. But Boaz was not the brother-in-law of Ruth or Naomi. So I'm not totally sure why Ruth asks him to fulfill this command from Deuteronomy 25. But apparently she's hoping that he'll do it, even though he's not a brother-in-law. Maybe she's hoping that, just like he gave her far more grain than he was obligated to, so he will also take on this responsibility of marrying her, even though he's not obligated to do so. 
So who, so here's Ruth at the feet of Boaz in the middle of the night under questionable circumstances. And Boaz wakes up and she asks him to marry her. This is the climax of the story. How is Boaz going to respond? Look at verse 10. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow ten- townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Throughout the whole story, Ruth shows the highest character. She's completely devoted to her mother-in-law, Naomi. She bravely leaves her home in Moab and follows Naomi, follows Naomi to Bethlehem. And once they arrive, she works long, hard days in the field to provide for Naomi and does everything she tells her to do. And the kindness that Boaz is talking about here is her decision to propose to him. She could have married any young single guy she wanted, and that could have been a much safer option too. But instead, she takes a big risk and proposes to Boaz so that Naomi's family line will continue. This devotion to Naomi is a testimony to Ruth's character. She is a worthy woman. So it seems as if everything is resolving. The rest Naomi sought for Ruth will be found in Boaz. They'll get married and Boaz will provide for Ruth and for Naomi. But then things are complicated in verse 12. Boaz says, And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Ruth's life is filled with complication after complication. She moves to Bethlehem for food, but then she has no way to provide for herself. She's able to glean during the barley harvest, but then it ends. She goes to Boaz and asks him to redeem her, but then there's a redeemer nearer than Boaz. That's often how life is. You move to New York City and get a new job, but then the economy takes a hit and you lose it. You start a new relationship and things are looking great, but then something happens and you break up. That can be so draining to our souls. It happens with our sin too. We become a Christian and God is changing our desires and how we live, but then we find ourselves caught in an old sin again. But look at how this scene ends. It's filled with hope. Boaz says, verse 13, Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Ruth is able to rest peacefully at night because she has confidence in Boaz's firm resolve. He says, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Morning comes, and as a demonstration of his devotion to Ruth, and perhaps even as a sort of pledge, Boaz sends Ruth off with a gift. He gives her six measures of barley. One commentator suggests it could have been as much as 95 pounds of barley. That's a generous gift. 
And also Ruth must have been pretty strong to be able to carry that by home by herself too. I mean, two bags of groceries from the Target a, a block from my apartment is about enough for me. So Ruth takes this big gift <clears throat> and heads home to Naomi. And there's a significant phrase in verse 17. Ruth tells Naomi that Boaz said to her, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. This is significant because it's the same word Naomi uses in chapter 1, verse 21, when she cries out in distress and says, the Lord has brought me back from Moab empty-handed. Her husband and both her sons are dead and she comes back with nothing. And that's when she changes her name from pleasant to bitter. But now here, Boaz's gift fulfills both Naomi's prayer for rest for Ruth and her complaint against God for being empty-handed. There's a period of time when it didn't feel like it, but God heard her prayer and now abundantly provides for her. There's a lesson for us here, a couple lessons, but here's one. God often answers prayer through other people. Now, that doesn't mean that God can't answer our prayers directly, and sometimes he does. But take, for example, when we pray for someone to be healed of a sickness or disease. God absolutely could heal that person immediately without anyone's involvement. But more often, God heals people through the work of doctors, nurses, and modern medicine. If you work in medicine, you're the answer to many people's prayers. So here's an application. When we pray, we should also then look for ways that God may be answering our prayers through other people. That's the way he normally answers our prayers. That also means that we we need to be in community with other Christians. I mean, when when I was decided, take for this example, when I decided um, to become a pastor, I was praying for wisdom. And one of the ways God answered my prayer was through a conversation with a friend that I had known since elementary school. He knew how God had made me. And he was able to help me see where God was leading me. We're not meant to be at this on our own. We need the support and encouragement of other brothers and sisters in the faith. That's been a lot harder this year. But let me encourage you to push through the limitations of 2020 and find ways to connect, to be encouraged, and to be an encouragement to others. If you've been around Exil for a while, find people who are new to the church. Welcome them. Spend time with them and be attentive for how God may want to use you to be an answer to someone else's prayer. Naomi's prayers have begun to be answered through Boaz and the scene ends with her reaffirming her total faith in him. She tells Ruth to wait. And the word used conveys the sense not only of waiting, but also the worry-free attitude Ruth could have as she waited knowing that Boaz would faithfully work on her behalf. And look at how certain Naomi is of this. It's very strong language. She says, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is key here. In the midst of uncertainty, Ruth and Naomi wait in faithful expectation of the promise of the Redeemer to settle the matter and bring them rest. 
he will not rest until he brings them rest. To a certain extent, this part of the book of Ruth describes the period in which we live our entire lives. Like Boaz promised that Ruth would be redeemed, so God has promised to redeem those who love him. Like Boaz, or Jesus, in fact, has already purchased our redemption by dying on a cross for our sin. He paid the price for our lives. And like Boaz sent Ruth away with a gift and pledge, so Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit as a pledge. But like Ruth was still awaiting the resolution, so we await the day when God will bring us rest. At this point in the story, Ruth was still poor and without any way to provide for herself. A world today is still filled with all forms of unrest. Sickness and death, injustice, volatility, conflict, loneliness. But the book of Ruth shows us how we can, even in the midst of all this, experience deep rest for our souls. That deep rest is possible when we wait for the day of our redemption, trusting that our Redeemer will finish what he has started. That gives us a peace that is stronger than any situation we can find ourselves in. There's a beautiful old hymn that goes like this. Dear refuge of my weary soul, on thee when sorrows rise, on thee when waves of troubles roll, my fainting hope relies. To thee I tell each rising grief, for thou alone canst heal. Thy word can bring a sweet relief for every pain I feel. The problem is, instead of taking our weariness to God, instead of taking the risk of faith, we look for rest in all the wrong places. We're stressed so we turn to escapism, like scrolling through our endless feeds, getting drunk at a party, or buying clothes online. Anything to distract for just a moment. Or we try to control every variable around us so that everything goes according to our plan. Or we seek rest in a good career or financial security. Or we think if we just can find the right guy or the right woman and settle down and have a family, then we'll be at peace. But none of those things will give us the rest our souls long for. They're far too temporary and uncertain. And it's not just a neutral thing either. God offers us rest, and when we seek it elsewhere, we're rejecting him. It's like if Ruth had rejected Boaz's offer and instead returned to poverty in Moab. It's not just poor us for looking for rest in the wrong places. It's wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death. The book of Ruth points us to the only one who can give us true, complete, and lasting 
rest. The story resolves in chapter 4. Boaz meets with the other redeemer and the elders of the city, and the other redeemer says he cannot redeem Ruth, lest I impair my own inheritance, he says, verse 5 of chapter 4. It would be too costly for him to provide for Ruth and Naomi. So Boaz redeems Ruth through this costly marriage, and when they marry, they give birth to a child in Bethlehem named Obed, which comes from the Hebrew avad, which means to serve. When the child is born, the women of the town say to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Generations later, their prayers were answered. This son was the grandfather of King David, the king who secured rest for Israel from their enemies. But the ultimate answer to the prayer came even later. Over a thousand years later, another son was born to another poor woman traveling to Bethlehem. He was from the line of Ruth, and David. And as he was about to be born, a priest in Israel named Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This son, Jesus Christ, is the promised Redeemer, the true servant of the Lord, whose costly marriage to his people, a marriage that cost him his life, restores our life and brings us rest. One day, he will remove every sin and darkness from our lives. He will transform our weak and weary bodies into new, glorious bodies. And all our deepest needs and desires will be satisfied as we exalt in Him forever. And if you trust in Him, you can experience a taste of that rest even now. If you place your confidence not in your own ability to control your life, but in this Redeemer, if you seek peace, not in your circumstances, but in this Redeemer, then even in the midst of sickness, death, and uncertainty, you can even now experience deep rest for your soul. You can sleep well at night, no matter what the day ahead has in store, because you know that your Redeemer has blessed you and promised to bring you rest. As the psalmist says, return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Let me just leave you with two quick applications for this week. First, the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's very countercultural, but Sundays are meant to be a foretaste 
of our rest to come. Make it a part of your weekly rhythm to rest and worship on Sundays. Second, invite others into this rest. Ruth was a Moabite, an enemy of Israel, but God saw her and gave her rest. Boaz, too, was actually the son of Rahab the prostitute, who was also an enemy of Israel, living in Jericho before the Israelites conquered it. We, too, were once enemies of God. But now that you have become a friend of God, who can you invite into this family? Maybe that means inviting a coworker to tune in for our Christmas service, or maybe that means simply praying for them and for opportunities to share your faith with them. That hymn I quoted before ends like this. Thy mercy seat is open still. Here let my soul retreat. With humble hope, attend thy will and wait beneath thy feet. Let us, with humble hope, look to our Redeemer, who will one day bring us rest. Let's pray.